Good morning. It's quiet in the house of God this morning. Good morning. Man, I hope you like that last song as much as I do. That last song is unreal. I, uh, I like, you know, I like want to cry every time I sing that song. It just, uh, I feel the weight of it. I feel the weight of it. Poor girl. Makes me sad. Be in Hebrews this morning, um, no surprise there. I'm trying to move us through as fast as I can. I promise you, uh, we're actually going to. I'm going to speak from uh, uh, six. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm going to speak from uh, six into uh, seven. Really, I'm going to cover seven, kind of paraphrase it because it really six. I think I'm maybe losing batteries. Maybe you think. Mm, I don't know. It says we're okay. All right. How about there? Here we go. All right. Who knows? So, either way, um, we're going to put as much as I can because the hard part about Hebrews is that uh, it's, it's a, a very difficult book uh, because it's predominantly written to the Jews, which totally have a different background. And what he's trying to really prove is that Jesus is the Christ, which uh, uh, as the church, we kind of believe. And so covering some of that is very difficult in how we approach it. Uh, some things that I think we can touch base and kind of see through. So I'll just start us off here, and then we'll move into the Bible. 17 years ago, Joy and I had our first daughter. I was in my mid-20s, and I barely had a grip on my life as I had to be uh, all of a sudden responsible for someone else, right? I, at, least, at least with Joy being an adult, she was kind of responsible for herself, but now I've got this little tiny thing that all of a sudden I have to kind of be in charge of and kind of raise up, and that was very scary. Uh, uh, I became real ambitious during this time. Uh, having a wife and kid, uh, uh, I started chasing down any jobs I could possibly be, you know, or like bring us a better life. You think I should just trade out? All right. How about now? All right, a little better, a little better. So I worked hard to place myself in jobs that would produce more money, that would produce this idea of what a better life would be so uh, my kids could enjoy a mom being at home. Uh, I, that was a big thing to me. I didn't grow up with, with the mom who was at home uh, very much, and it's not like she was a bad mom. She was a great mom, but uh, she worked. That's, she was ambitious about that. She loved working and had a great working career. And uh, I never, I raised my brothers pretty much uh, when they weren't around. And they both worked in downtown Dallas. I lived about 50 miles outside of Dallas in the country. And so they were, they were there. And, and it took an hour or so, hour and a half to get to their jobs one way. And then so by the time they would be gone in the morning, I was responsible to get all my brothers out to the bus so the bus could take us in. It's kind of like if you lived in, in Kingsland, you know, you got to get up super early so you can make it to Lano. That's like 45 minutes away. Kind of that kind of idea where we lived. And, um, and so I was responsible to get my brothers 
on the bus. They had to get themselves back on the bus so we could get home. And then they would get home around 7 o'clock at night. We'd see them for two hours. And by 9 o'clock, we'd go to bed. That, I mean, like, literally, so every day of the week, I only saw my parents for about two hours a day. Um, that was, it had a big impact on my life. I don't know if it was necessarily bad, but it definitely was something I wanted more of. Like, I, I, didn't, I can't say that I got to spend very much during the week with my parents. The weekend's totally different. They were really big about being with us on the weekends. Uh, but that was a big thing for me. So as I started a new family, I, wanted, I knew one thing for sure, that I needed to make enough money that I wanted my wife home. And I began to be very ambitious about how we t- uh, did that. Now, it became a pressure cooker in my life as I took on a second child two years later and decided, yeah, this is what I needed was more pressure. That's, that was going to answer my problem. Uh, but, and, and, and that was all in my 20s. And I was just ambitious and a little blind. And I thought that what I was doing then would pay off later uh, but the difference was what my 30s uh, taught me is that none of that was half as important as being a dad and being around when they needed me. That's what I learned. I uh, got to do a lot of cool things in my 20s because of ambition. But one thing I didn't get to do is be a good father that much or a good husband. And so when I got in my 30s, I don't know what hit me, but like just I think what hit me was maturity maybe. And just all of a sudden what was important was not so important. And... Uh, and, and all of a sudden, houses didn't mean much to me. And all of a sudden, cars didn't mean as much to me. All of a sudden, uh, there became this very big need to be with my wife and kids. And so I started working towards positions and jobs that did that. Little did I know God was kind of engineering me. What God was calling me to was to people and relationships. And God was engineering me in my life towards that by taking the taste of one thing and replacing it with the taste of another. So I wanted to be around my wife. You know, today I'm 42. I look at myself in my 20s, and I, I would have loved to have given advice to myself. I would have told myself uh, not to be gone so much, to spend more time with my kids, to worry less about how we're going to make it. Instead, spend more time laughing. Amen. But I don't have any regrets because uh, this is how the process of maturity works. We kind of learn by experience, don't we? We grow with every year. We get older, hopefully wiser. We can handle things a bit better because the more experience with life we get under our belt, the more we're able to adapt and overcome the world. We simply mature. We just mature. So here's where it comes into Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6 is where we're at this morning. And I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. Say amen when you're there. Oh, you are fast this morning. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the, res- the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is possible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the world of God, of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the uh, yeah, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that, and that produces a crop useful uh, to those for whom it was farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited what has been 
promise. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but as we've read, especially because there were not chapters uh, in the original uh, text, so as they moved from one place to the next, there was a frustrated tone at the end of the last chapter. I don't know if you noticed that has carried on into this chapter. I mean, he was talking about, are you mature enough in the last chapter? And he's kind of carrying that in there. Listen, man, I don't want to be talking about the same stuff over and over. I don't want to keep having to repeat myself. I don't want to keep having to go back, you know. But one thing I've learned in ministry and one thing I've learned in life, right, is that some things never change. Amen? People struggle to move past the basics of their faith and grow in the wisdom of grace then and today's nothing's changed. We still struggle at that today. To quote Rick Warren, people are growing older, but they're not growing up. And that's a problem. That's a problem. They call it perpetual immaturity. You are immature forever. We got 30-year-olds living at home, man. Come on now. That's got to stop. We shouldn't have to keep going over the same stuff over and over. You're supposed to get it and be able to move on. Time doesn't allow a moment to remain. It presses on and causes us uh, to either get it or we become doomed to repeat it. How do we know that? Experience produces wisdom and this is maturity. It's a process. How many you know it's a process? Amen? I mean, you're not born a man. That would be awkward and hurtful. You're born a child and oblivious to everything. However, with each passing year, you learn, right? You, you experience things that ultimately grow you. And when you see a baby today, do you think that that baby's dumb because it can't walk? That's a dumb baby. It can't walk. It's a baby. Nobody thinks like that. You know in time that the child will learn to walk, that it will understand the pain of falling. Amen? Because let's be honest, falling is what encourages a baby to walk. It's the truth. I don't want my knees to feel that concrete ever again. I'm going to work harder at balance. They figure it out. They do. It's a process. We understand it. You must establish yourself first in the basics and then begin to move beyond. Before we can go deeper into God, the basics must be established. You have to walk before you can run. But once you're able to walk, that's when we're going to work on running. Right? We get how that works. One, and then there's two, and then there's three, and then there's four. I've seen so many people wanting a special word from God, but how can God trust them with something special if they can't discipline themselves in the fundamentals of their faith? Well, I just want a touch from God. I want a word from the pastor. How about just get a word from Jesus? You can go straight to him, you know. Paul preaches that. Come on. I mean, the Bible says it. Come, you can go straight to the Father. What the process of maturity looks like is different for everyone. And while I'm sure that some have completely veered off away from Christ and might exactly appear to be what this passage is saying, I'm not sure I can spot that right away. This is the truth. I, I'm no expert like, well, they're off the path. I'm no expert at that. I think it takes patience. I think you don't know where people are at. And I think to be judgmental and judge someone too fast or be too quick about it, I, I think that's a dangerous place to be. Uh, what I've learned that sometimes the soil looks great from the top, but inwardly the seed is already producing thorns. So it's been a very strange thing. There's some people that I would swear I'm not sure they're saved and then see them four or five years later and they're radically changed. They were saved. God was working in their hearts to change things. And then I've seen some people that claim to be radically saved and I've seen them outside the church and it's entirely different. So sometimes the soil looks good and it's really bad and sometimes the soil looks bad and it's really good. Oh, somebody say amen. The process of maturity looks different for everyone. It looks different for everyone. Sometimes you've got to work on the dirt to get it ready 
Farming and gardening is work. For those who do it, you know what I'm talking about. Whether it's plowing or tilling or regulated burns. Mm, I could preach all by itself. Removing trees, pruning, or whatever. It's work. It's a process. Sometimes they will let a piece of property sit for a year to give it a time of rest. Did you know that? That there are times where they just like, we planted so much, it's just sucked all the nutrients out of it. It needs a season of rest. And so it will sit there, and they will give it a season of rest before they think about plying in it again, to let the rains come, to let it be refreshed, and let the ground be renewed. Some of us need that, amen? Then listen, the process is different for every piece of ground. Can I tell you, one, one of the neatest stories for me, it came from a family uh, from a previous church I was a part of that I, I'd gone to their house, and they had this wonderful lawn, beautifully green. I mean, this thing was so nice. And, and so I was like, man, it's a nice lawn. I can't believe it. For really out here, it's, it's pretty different to have a nice lawn. So would you like bring somebody in and landscape it? They're like, no. You know what we did? It was full of rocks when we first got here. So every time our grandkids would come over, praise God for grandkids, right? Every time our grandkids come over, we had a day where we'd go out there for a couple hours at a time, and we would pick up one rock at a time. And I would take them to take all the rocks outside the yard. And they would go out there, and they'd pick up a rock, and then they'd take it over here, and they'd go back and pick up rocks. And for about an hour or two, every time they came over, they picked up rocks. Can I tell you, about a year and a half or so later, there's that yard. Some of us would look at that stony ground and go, man, that ground's worthless. And then there's some people that are willing to put in the work. It's not always as it seems. Some ground just needs to be tilled up a little better. I, I can't believe, you know, I come from uh, East Texas where everything is mud and clay and sand to come out here where everything's granite. And I'm amazed that anybody builds anything out here. Can I tell you, some, some people's hearts are like the granite out here, for, you know, that they have out here. Sometimes it takes a stick of dynamite to get through it. But we still get it done, don't we? On earth as it is in heaven. Some ground needs more work. But here's the real question, and I'm going to keep this really short today. Here's the real question. How do you know where you're at in the process of maturity? And, and I'm only going to give you two questions. I think, there's a, I think we could put a sheet together on how to evaluate all this. But I'm only going to give you two questions because I, I really think if, if I was to narrow it down, these two questions are things that I'm going to look for or I'm going to ask myself when I talk to anybody. First of all, do you find yourself always back at the very thing you're trying to be delivered from? If you're struggling with alcohol, I'm just using that for an example, and you've been delivered, are you still secretly drinking once in a while? And let me, let me tell you, and you can substitute that sin for whatever you want it to be. I'm a person who struggles with alcohol for me, so to go back and have a sip of anything, even if, it was, even if it's just a sip, is that a sin? No, that I just had a sip, it wouldn't be, but it would be sin to me because why? I have an addiction. I don't want to have a sip. I want the whole thing. That's just how I am. I don't like that part about me. And so God has crucified that. And I move on. And for me to keep going back to that or secretly trying to hang on to that, that's sin for me. I fully understand why people are, uh, who are significantly older than me can still view me as a kid. Listen here. It's because there's still some things I've got to learn and still some things I have to live through to learn. For this same reason, I look at people in their 20s and feel the same way. I see myself in the 20s, and I want to help those that are like me, those that are in this struggle for all things uh, material and uh, when what really God wants me to be is to be the man of my house. What he really wants me to be is a better husband. What he really wants me to be is a better friend. What he really wants me to be is a better father. God doesn't care about all this stuff that I might have on earth. He cares about me. He cares about me. 
You know, what did we say last week about currency in heaven? The only thing that's ever going to matter in this place is people. That's the only thing you get to take in heaven with you is your friends. You get to take your friends, right? That's like the most important thing because let's just face it. There ain't no place that's going to be fun without our friends, right? Jesus is going to be there, and it's going to be awesome. But how much more awesome can we enjoy Jesus with our friends? What a wonderful opportunity we have, right? But I, I see it. I see myself there in the struggle. I see that, that what my family needs is for me to trust God first, right? And to worry about all the other things second, right? Because if I trust God first and I seek God first, then everything else will be added. Everything else will take its place. Everything else will be learned and understood. Everything is a process, and I have to put it in the right order. Things come and go, and I get used to it. you got to let it roll off your back. Some of you need to laugh a little more. You know, one of the things that I started off this year, and some of you, some of you know this, like one of the things I started off this year saying, this year I'm going to make it a vow to laugh as much as I can. Why? Because I don't care about anything I found out when I laugh. When I'm laughing, I'm oblivious to anything. I mean, like, oh, the world could be going in, but if it's something's funny, I'm going to laugh. And I don't care about nothing else for some reason. Something happens when we laugh. Something magical just really happens. All of a sudden, man, we can have hope and faith and all this confidence when we begin to laugh. So I wanted to laugh more. One of the things I would tell myself in my 20s, laugh more, man. Quit worrying so much. You're going to figure it out. It's going to be okay. You're gonna, you'll figure out how to get it paid for. It'll work out. God's going to, you trust God more. That's what I would say. But how many of you know that's just something that has to be experienced? Right? I'm going to tell you something. I still got a lot to learn, man. I still got a lot to learn. I, I, I don't think any of this is new. Paul addressed in Galatians 4.9. He says, so, so now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Quit struggling with your past. Peter addressed it in 1 Peter 2.21. It would be better if they'd never known the way to righteousness than to know it and reject the command they are given to live a holy life. If you keep falling back into the things, there's where you're struggling in the maturity process. Yeah, you can see somebody struggling in the maturity process when they continue to keep falling back into the same things. You see the cycle in their life where they keep going back and keep going back, right? The dog returning to its vomit over and over and over. God is saying to us this morning to relent. Let it go, right? It's time to be disciplined about prayer. It's time to be disciplined about reading God's word. It's time that we know him. It's time that we know him first and push everything else to second. I promise you, if you'll root yourself in the fundamentals or the basics of life, you'll find freedom. You'll find deliverance. You'll find the cycle broken, chains loosed. You'll find that in your life. I realize that some people, and this is true too, and I see this a lot. This is where pride comes in. I, I realize that some people can strong will their way out of sin. I realize that, and I get that. I, but here's the thing is, it, it's going to lead to pride, and you're going to find yourself right back in sin. Because the only Jesus breaks the chains, man. Only Jesus breaks the chains. We have to discipline ourselves in him. We have to press ourselves and push ourselves towards Christ. Next question, and this is probably the biggest one I have. This is the one that I, I get hit with a lot, even on my own heart, uh, as I talk to my mentor and things. Do you find yourself criticizing others for where they're at? 
Literally, do you find yourself criticizing others for where they're at compared to loving people and bestowing upon them the same grace that, that you have received? I've yet to see a church that didn't practice that. I've yet to be at one where at some time in our lives something happens to us and we become the Pharisee. At some point, all of a sudden, we became so holy and so righteous, all of a sudden, we're better than everyone because they should be this and they should be that and they should be everything else. Because we're this, and we've conquered this, and we've done this. It's like as if we did it on our own. And somewhere this condescending attitude comes from, and some of this, all, all this, it's like a big Pharisee spirit. And I'm, I'm not sure when it happens. I just know every Christian at some point in their life becomes highly judgmental of others. You have not been a Christian until you've at least been a Pharisee once or twice. It's a Pharisee sickness, and it usually happens when we stop growing and when we're off mission. The greatest critics of Jesus Christ are those who either stop growing or are off mission. And I'm going to explain some of that. When our eyes step away from Jesus and we evaluate our lives in the comparison to others, somewhere we lose grace in the mix. We forget process and time and immediately expect everyone to at least be where we're spiritually at. We start arguments about what songs we should be singing, which Bible translations we should be reading, and a bunch of other nonsense. We start to make Christianity more about how we act and what we do than grace, love, and forgiveness. Our religion, because that's really what it is, isolates us away from the world so that we become useless to the kingdom. Because we can't partake with them, we're more holy. We don't say it that way. We say they're not as holy as we are, or they're not holy enough. Well, they're doing this wrong, or they're doing this. It's, it's always something. Show me in the Bible where Jesus is anywhere like that. Show me in the Bible where he refuses to spend time with people because of a Jewish law or issue. Jesus healed on the Sabbath, <laughs> which to everyone else was considered a religious taboo. Jesus not only talked with a Samaritan, which was unclean person and against the law, right? But he offered her redemption. <laughs> the truth today is Jesus still offends us with who he reaches and the methods by which he ministers. Jesus is still offensive. Can I tell you, there are people that are still calling Jesus the prince of demons. They can't stand him. They don't like how he reaches people. They don't like how he accepts people. You just accept them like they are. That can't happen like that. They need to be this and this and this before they come to you. Where? I don't see any of that in the Bible. There were people in this country that experienced the love of Christ last night and some who heard the gospel for the very first time or even witnessed or saw the gospel lived out while there were others and that in the same name of Christ refused to give the gospel because of its pagan background and unclean nature. Can you imagine standing before Jesus and having to answer for any of that? This same Jesus who gave his life for all those people you just refused to help. Can you imagine? Well, it was a pagan holiday. I, I'd love that. Well, they took this day from you. Apparently, you only are God 364 days a year. Sorry. I mean, can you imagine? Listen, I, I'm not beyond any of this, and, and I've experienced too much of this in my own life to sit back and not be honest with you here and now. I, under the, I understand the intention to be holy and pure before the Lord, but we've got to be careful uh, uh, in that pursuit not to become critical of others in, in, in judgment, especially when it comes to the lost. 
I've been there. I understand the process that leads up to ineffectiveness. I've been guilty of criticizing others. Oh, it hurts to say. <clears throat> but can I tell you the one thing that my mentor would say to me during this process? And, and I'm a, I would tell you, if I catch you, I'm going to tell you right now what I'm going to tell you. Right? This is what my mentor says to me when I would start getting like that. Because, listen, we all get like that once in a while, where we think our way is the only right way. Right? And this is what experience, experience teaches you over time, especially in my older generation. You're going to know this, that you've been wrong quite a few. And it's probably wiser just to keep quiet and listen and watch to see how it pans out. Because you've been wrong enough before and probably a fool enough to know just to sit there and listen, kind of. My mentor would say this to me. I was like, man, I don't understand why they're doing this, man. Don't they know that the blah, 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 and I've got these 40,000 reasons biblically why we shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that or everything's this or everything's that. And then he would just say this to me simply. Jim, how many people did you win to Christ this week? Well, it's a straight yes or did you win any? I mean, just answer the question. Well, what's that got to do with anything? Jim, just answer the question. Well, I didn't talk to anybody. What's important, Jim? Arguing about this or winning the loss? He says, I'm going to tell you right now, Jim, if you're on mission, you ain't got time to argue. Let somebody else do all the arguing. Let the fools talk amongst themselves. You just go do what you've been called to do. You go win the lost. You do what God set right in your heart to do. And let others be convicted about their own convictions. But you don't have to sit there and judge them because they don't believe like you. Can I tell you, there's a lot of truth to that. One of the most valid things I've ever learned right there is that one thing. Because that's what I come back to. Anytime I start to have like an idea where I might disagree with somebody, here's what I understand about my opinion. My opinion is pretty worthless. And really, it doesn't matter much. I'm not going to make some new doctrine or new reformation or new something on this earth. That's why we never say our church is a new church. I still preach the same Jesus from 2,000 years ago that Paul preached, that Peter preached. There's nothing new about this church. There's some new people. We're in a restaurant. That's kind of different. But there's nothing new. I'm not preaching a new message. We're not trying to do anything different or trying to do anything new or not. We're just trying to love people. Just trying to love people. I just want to reach the lost. I just want to uh, bring people who struggle to find a place where they belong. I want to touch people who, are, who would love to be broken and honest before the Lord, but have never felt a place where it was safe to do so, right? I want to provide that. That's really all I ever wanted about Mosaic. Because here, if you get to know me, one of the things you're going to know me, I am bluntly honest about the gospel and about my own uh, 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 eternity or about my own walk with Jesus Christ. Now, to some of you, that might be like a bad thing. You might view me always as, as a person who always, well, it seems like Pastor Jim, for a pastor, he sure does struggle a lot. It'd be better than me telling you I'm a pastor who's perfect all the time because that'd be a lie. Or how about I just don't share anything with you and I become the most impersonal pastor you ever met? I don't have a private life. When I decided that God was going to put me up up here, that my private life was over. I told God I will live in public so that all the world can see the fool that you placed up on the platform. Because if you can save a fool like me, you can save all of us. So this is my mentor. He would say those things to me. He would correct me when that part would happen, right? So how can I deal with people who are so critical maybe of the things we do? There are people who are not going to like we do things on Halloween. There are going to be people that don't like we don't do communion like they do or do a baby dedication like they do or, or what, whatever it may be. But what does that matter? What's the mission? What does that play in the part of the mission? And you know what's worse? When all this argument stuff's happen, I, there's two things I always say. You know, to the insider, 
When I say the insider, I mean somebody who attends church on a regular basis. This is, I, I usually do this. Let's just focus on the mission, all right? Let's focus on the mission. Let's quit being so critical of other. Try to get everybody's heart right, line back up. Now, to the outsider, you know what I say? Brothers and sisters, fight. Sorry. You know, I beat my brothers up. Now you know. If you've ever had a sibling and you've pulled their hair or beat them up a little bit, don't lie, right? You know. You know. Siblings fight. You think the church is going to be any different. We're brothers and sisters. We have differences of opinions based off the experiences we live in life, based off what God takes us through. I promise you, I will never value missions like someone who's almost died for missions. Why? Because his experiences teaches them to value it in another level. I can't. I just can't understand it like he can. But this is something we all should be able to get. This is something we all should be able to know. And I'm going to tell you, when you reach that point, you start being critical. Uh, uh, what if somebody comes up to you and asks you that question? How many people have you won to Jesus this past week? How many people have you talked to about Jesus Christ this past week? And I don't say that to guilt you. I say that to get you back on track. Your enemy is not your brother or your sister and what they are or are not doing. Your enemy is the stir of the pot that keeps that conversation going just long enough to distract you to keep you from what you should be doing. Part of what I'm supposed to do as a pastor is keep us focused on the main thing. And we can't get into stupid debates and foolish debates. Are there some groundwork to those that are valid? Absolutely. But there's not always maturity practiced in those conversations. And there's not a lot of times there's not a lot of love in them either. <laughs> Which is funny since we're supposed to be the most loving, forgiving people on planet Earth. And listen, don't, don't feel bad, man. The Hebrews writer knows that this isn't a wonderful subject to talk about because you read into this, uh, you can kind of read his reluctance to even call any of this out. I mean, remember, he's talking to his own Hebrew family. Uh, it's hard. But he knows uh, he's got to do this if he's going to move forward. He's trying to get them and to get you to quit worrying about dumb stuff and just trust Christ. Hebrews 6.12 reads this, um, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. The writer here is trying to get you back in the saddle. Get you back onto where you're supposed to be. We shouldn't have to keep coming back to basic uh, fundamental uh, discussions about our faith. We shouldn't have to talk about arguing from one another. Uh, I don't know about you, but I had two younger siblings, and I've had my parents say, I'm sick and tired of always having to deal with you boys. And we would laugh and think it's funny. But come on, as a pastor, we feel the same way. I am sick and tired of always having to deal with you folk. Come on now. Let's move on. Let's get back where we're supposed to be. Make no mistake, I expect arguments in the church. You know why? Because I see it in families. All right? That's not a bad thing. Well, that church is the most unfriendly church. Man, there's times when my brothers were unfriendly, man. My grandma hit me with a switch one time. Don't mean I don't love her. She chased me behind a love seat, whipped the love seat back, and whooped the fire out of me. In love. And you know what? I still went there for Christmas, and she got me Christmas gifts. You know? Welcome to the church. We act like it's supposed to be so much different than us. It's made up of us, and we want it to be different than us. That's not the way it is. We need to move past all the basics of our faith to where we can completely trust in Christ. 
And how do I know that? Well, if you study this book from a more general sense, a a 30,000 feet type of way, you'd see that the writer wants you to come to one conclusion, that Christ is Lord, that he rules and he reigns over everything. And here's why I say that. Chapters 1 through 3 go into the idea that Jesus is greater than anything. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than any holiday. He's greater than my kids. He's greater than my wife. He's greater than the church. Chapters 5 and 8 are about how much we can trust him because he is now our high priest and how he's become the guarantee of a better covenant. You can trust your future in Jesus. Let me move towards closing with this, and I'll just real quick. Hebrews 6, 11. Now this is, I know I've just read this, but let me, this is a New Living uh, Translation. I just like the way it reads. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. Like, I realize what I've just said to you, but my greatest desire and everything that we've said is that our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. This is my desire for you as well, that you would continue to love others, all that Christ died for as long as life allows us and in this way I will know you have matured because your hearts will be joined with Christ because as Christ loved everyone and I see that in you then I know that you are in Christ when I see you treat others with love and respect especially when they're wrong especially when somebody says something that's uh, not right. Believe me, as a pastor, I've heard a lot of things uh, where, where people have either said bad things about another pastor, and do you think I just immediately pounce on them? No. I know they don't know what they're saying. And in that moment, I give them grace. Now, I could pounce on them because that's what they expect. Or I could try to love them to correction. And sometimes you've got to know the wisdom of both. And that comes with experience. And if you don't have it, don't try it. Be strong and courageous, for there are many that would deter you here. But remember, Jesus intercedes for you day and night, and without ceasing now that he is before the Father. He is with you always to the end. This is what he does. He is here to build you up, to bring life to you. Right? He's here to keep you on mission so that you will love others he came and died for him he came and died for him for us and i don't know what happens like do we forget that we were one of them well i'm not i mean like well, especially about halloween i've seen too many conversations uh you know this last week on facebook do, do we forget that we were there do we forget that i don't know about you but like i was a kid at one time oblivious to i didn't grow up in the church Many of you heard my story. I didn't grow up in the church. I had no clue what Halloween is. I had no clue its history. You know what? Didn't care. You know what I knew? Candy. Uh, I got to dress up one time a year and pretend I was something else, which is kind of fun. All right? Listen, and what's funny is like all of us are like so arrogant at times to think we don't dress up. Just because you ain't wearing a mask that I can see doesn't mean you don't wear a mask. Mm, Yeah, that'll preach. I mean, they're kids. What do they know? They know whatever we teach them. They know whatever we teach them. If we teach them love, you know what they're going to learn? Love. We teach them to be kind. What are they going to be? They're going to be kind. 
If we teach them grace and forgiveness, what are they going to do? Give grace and be forgiving. Right? I see so many patriarchs that really modeled this kind of stuff for us, man. People like Martin Luther King Jr. I never see him beating up anybody. Although if anybody deserves to beat somebody down, Martin Luther King deserves to beat up a few people. But I remember him saying in those moments when I find people I disagree with the most, I look for the one quality that I can't agree with. And I remember him saying this in an article where they were asking him, how can you love those who have persecuted you so greatly for your skin color? And he says, you know what I've learned about them? That they're absolutely committed to what they believe in. And while I think that what they're committed to is absolutely wrong, the fact that they could show such commitment, that part I can love. And in that little bitty part, while it might seem nothing to anybody else, that's the part I pray, Lord, turn their eyes to be committed towards you. Because they're obviously a committed people. They obviously have the heart for commitment. God, just point them in the right direction. Martin Luther King understood that you can return love for hate, and it could conquer hate. It conquers hate. Love conquers bitterness. Love conquers arguments. Love conquers disagreements. Love conquers division. Love is the big bridge builder. You want to know, uh, in the past six years, how I've worked with so many churches? Because despite their doctrinal differences and our doctrinal differences and all those things, what matters more than anything? Love. They shall know us by our love for one another. Man, Hebrews is this right. That's what he's trying to take. Let's, let's get past that part, right? We can move on to deep things of God. And he's, it's like he's saying, I want to. But we got to get, get past some things. We got to get our hearts right and our hearts in line with God. We got to get to where our love is right. We get that part. Everything else is going to be a lot easier. Amen? Stand to your feet this morning. The words of this song, uh, in the, the verse that probably just hits me hardest, uh, Lord, I've been told to be ashamed. Lord, I've been told I don't measure up. Lord, I've been told I'm not good enough. And some of you, you already have your own lyrics. Some of you, you've been told, man, that you're not smart enough. Some of you have been told through whatever that you don't feel like you're good enough to, to, to accept God. Some of you have been told a lot of things by either the enemy or other Christians. I know we hurt our own selves. I've said things to my brothers that were horrible. I love them, and I was just did it in ignorance and unbelief. But we've been told a lot of things. But the truth of it is, God loves us. The truth of it is that he died for us. The truth of the matter is that we're accepted by him, that we're good enough, right? Not because we've done anything, but because his grace, his grace is bestowed upon us, and we have forgiveness and love now. It's a wonderful thing. I'm going to pray for you this morning. And if there's anybody struggling there and you want prayer this morning, I want you to come up. Uh, uh, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to lay hands and we're going to pray and we're going to believe God's going to do a work, uh, some healing if need be. And uh, I believe God wants to touch somebody. And if not, that's okay. We're going to pray and, and I'll dismiss. That's not a big deal either. But I'm going I'm to put that out because I, I definitely want to make ourselves available. If we have somebody that needs prayer, man, let's pray. If, if, if we have somebody that needs an encouragement, then let's encourage. As a family, we're here for one another. We're here for one another. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, Lord, this is your work. This is your work, not, not mine. Father, I, I pray that if anybody's struggling with acceptance, Lord, struggling at where do they belong in any of this, God, that they would find it in you, God. And, Lord, the only way anybody's ever going to belong or be accepted even here at this church, God, would be that if you're here with us. 
because you take precedence, God. You're the most important thing here. And you are here, God. We feel your mighty presence in this place right now, God. And Lord, I know there are those who are struggling with, with acceptance. There are those who are struggling in those areas, God. I would ask that you would meet them right now, God. And if there are some of you right now that feel like you, you would like some prayer, you need prayer, and you want it to be a corporate prayer and come up here, then right now, I mean, I encourage you right now, just come up right up here to the front right now. And we're going to pray for you. As a family, we're going to pray for you. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Let us pray for you. Let us, let, us, let us stand with you in the gap. Let us share your burden. Because you are accepted and you are loved. And we want to come against anything that would make it, you feel different than that in any way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Now, some of you, I'm, gonna, I'm about to pray for these there up front. And I'm, I, I, I want help. If, if you uh, would like to pray along with me and just come up behind them and begin to lay a hand on them and begin to pray for them, I'm going to pray for each one of them individually. But if you will begin in, in this way by, by helping me and, and helping them and, and revealing yourself as family and love right now, I would encourage you. And if not, that's okay. But if you could just give us the courtesy right now. We're not dismissing. We're praying for our family.
Right now, I just, uh, all those that have come, God, I, I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for their willingness, God, to come forward and, 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 and come to you, God, and put themselves out there, Father. Lord, their courage to step forward in faith and say, God, I believe you will meet me at the altar. I thank you for that, God. Who is like you, God, who meets our needs, who is there, who intercedes uh, uh, unceasingly before the Father? still under this day is still in ministry and on mission help us oh god to be on mission help us to love one another as you love us god help us to love and to forgive and to be a family god in you lord thank you jesus thank you lord Father, we love you this morning, God. Father, I know I send them out, God, back into the world, God. And so I pray for them, God, that you would hold them. As Jesus said about his disciples, I say it to you now, Lord, that I should lose none. Those are your words. I pray your words, Jesus, that you should lose none, God. Hold them and keep them in your strong right hand, Father. We love you this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, I, I, I really do. I, I know that the Lord loves you, but I love you. Uh, you bless my heart when you come on Sundays, and you bless my heart when I get to see you on Wednesday. And, uh, so, you know, just hanging out with you on Saturday, it is a blessing to my life and to my family uh, that I know you and uh, that 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 we're walking together in this journey. I love you. You're, you're dismissed this morning.